Well, this morning I want to look at a passage of Scripture. It's found in John 6, and uh, it's, uh, I find it quite an interesting passage of Scripture. John 6 has quite a lot in it. Uh, but in John 6 is where we kind of find the teaching of Jesus. It's, it's quite famously known around where the point where Jesus comes to uh, a moment with his disciples where he really kind of starts to up the ante on his teaching around the fact that, that he is the Son of God, where he really, up until this point, People understood him as rabbi. They followed the miracles that Jesus was starting to do, the healings, the provision, the, the incredible things Jesus was doing. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, he starts now kind of getting a bit more serious and bringing a bit more understanding to people, the fact that I am the Son of God, which to most people were in that culture, in that time, it's something we celebrate here, but in that moment was very uh, hard for people to hear. It was a teaching that was actually quite hard for people to take on. And in fact, it's in John 6 where we kind of find Jesus' sermon around where he brings across the concept, the idea that I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And now in 2022, that's something we find great encouragement in, that Jesus is someone we can turn to, find nourishment in, find, find hope in, find life in, find our eternity in, find salvation in. It's, it's something we hold to and celebrate, the fact that, that all I need is found in Jesus. But for the people in the time, the disciples in that moment, it was kind of the introduction to a, a deepening of the teaching of Jesus, where, where now Jesus isn't just confessing to be a good rabbi, uh, a teacher of authority, he's now starting, which, which was accepted, he's now starting to say, actually, what I really am is the Son of God. And this teaching is actually, for a lot of the disciples, uh, was, uh, was hard for them to handle. In fact, Jesus in John 6, this teaching, he's really talking to a group of disciples. Often when Jesus is teaching and you see uh, a, a bad response or, or people struggling to understand the teaching of Jesus, often it's when Jesus is talking to Pharisees, teachers of the law. He's talking to uh, all different groups of people. But in this instant, the main people Jesus is, is directing his message towards is actually disciples. Disciples, people who've decided, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. And even this teaching was hard for the people that had said, you know what, I'm, I'm in for this. And really at the back end of this teaching, you find two pretty contrasting, contrasting responses. At the back end of this teaching, you find a group of disciples that say, hey, this is too much for me. I'm out. Jesus, you're gone a bit weird. Uh, I was here for the fun times, like the guy who was paralyzed started walking. That was pretty awesome. I was here for the, the good times. Now you're saying eat of your flesh and you will have life. I'm not really into that whole cannibal kind of stuff because they didn't really understand what it is Jesus was actually getting at. And so they go, man, this is too much for me to handle. I didn't sign up for this. And then you have a whole another group of people who respond to the teaching in a totally different way, who actually it deepens their understanding of Jesus. Which is actually quite interesting that they sit there and hear the same teaching but have a very different response to it. They sit there and hear the same sermon. They sit there and hear the same teaching of Jesus. They sit there in a very similar situation but have a very different response to what it is that it is that Jesus is trying to portray. And at times in life, I've come to realize that even that happens still in this day and age. 
that people go through similar situations but have a very different response. That people hear similar things but have a very different reaction to it. That actually the reaction isn't so much based on, on the situation that is going on or the reaction isn't so much based on the teaching that people have taken on. It's actually the reaction is more based on their condition when they went through it, when they heard it. That at the end of the day they find themselves in a situation uh, where a whole group say, you know what, this is going to deepen my belief. This is going to deepen my, my, my trust in God. This is going to deepen my relationship with God. And a whole other people say, you know what, I'm, I'm out. I, I didn't sign up for that. And there's been times in life where I've even gone through things and things that have caused me to question my faith or rock my faith. For others, it has been a point of strengthening where they say, you know what, this disappointment isn't going to discourage me from my faith. It's actually going to push me into my faith. Where this failure isn't going to push me away, it's actually going to cause me to lean into the grace of God. That there's been times, even in my own family, where our family has gone through very different things. And I've watched our three, the three siblings in my family respond very different to God in it all. For me, I say, well, God, I need you in this. But, but for some of my other siblings in the moment, they say, well, I don't want anything to do with God if that's what we have to go through. And it's, 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 it's not really the situation. The situation creates a framework, but really the response comes out of the condition, no, the heart, the understanding, the belief of where God is, what God is going through. Because you can be in one situation and have a completely different response. The same situation and have a completely different response. Like, have you, you ever hanged out with those people that are just nice and, like, grateful for life? It can be real frustrating at times when you're just in one of those moods where you want to grumble. And like, you ever been out to dinner with nice people? And uh, you're sitting there and your meal's taking forever. And so you, you know, you get the complaining started because it just makes for a good night when we can sit around and complain. And so, oh man, this food's taking so long. Then you always have that grateful person around the table. It's, I'm just thankful we can be here together in each other's company. Have the privilege of having foods. I'm like, I, didn't, I, I don't want that right now. <laughs> but there's, there's those people in those situations. It's, it's like you're in traffic and you're getting worked up because somebody cuts you off and then the grateful or the well-meaning people, well, well maybe they're rushing to hospital. I'm like, well, well they should still play by the rules <laughs> until I need a rush. Then the rules go out the window. But there's those people in life that are just grateful in all circumstances. I try to be one of those people, but it doesn't always play off that well in my life. But the reality is, is we can find ourselves in situations. You even find in, the, in Scripture, you look through it. For, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, many of us know, prison is something he found, he found to rejoice over because he understood God's purpose in it. But for prison, for others, was a place of fear. The same situation, but for many it brought fear, but for Paul it brought him to a point of praise. And the question is not just what are we going through, but how are we going through it? And where do we see God amongst it all? And how do we see God amongst it all? You find the situation in John 6, which I find quite interesting, because this scenario isn't so much a grappling because of situations. It's not a grappling of God, you've brought us to this tough spot and I'm going to have a grateful uh, and, 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 and a praiseworthy heart and I'm going to grumble. No, the situation wasn't actually because of that. The situation that caused a difference in them was actually because of the teaching of Jesus. It wasn't the, the pressure in their life, it was actually the teaching Jesus was trying to bring across. 
that actually caused a bit of divide in the disciples. And at the end of the day, there's been times in, in, in our life where, where people are going to respond differently to the teaching of Jesus. In fact, we live in a society that responds differently to the teaching of Jesus. Where in some environments, popular opinion and scripture don't line up as being, oh, you know what, that's something we should hold to. There's, there's times even in my own life, in my own heart, where, where my flesh and my spirit are contrary responses to things. God asks us to do something and my spirit goes, yeah, that's what we should do. But, but on the other hand, I will just want to sleep sometimes and chill out. Why? Because there's, a, there's sometimes even internally this, this, this contradiction or this, this collision in responses to what it is that Jesus is asking us to do. And you find in John 6, in fact, at the end of it, I'm going to start at the end of it, and then we're going to go through the teaching. This is the response that kind of starts to portray this difference in the disciples. And in John 6, verse 60, it says, on hearing this, this is what he's saying, on hearing this, it's, it's talking about Jesus saying that I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me uh, will not go thirsty or hungry. And on hearing this, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, that word hard there isn't so much like this is just hard to understand because it's too deep for me. That word hard there is this is, a, this is an, an offensive teaching. This doctrine, better way, this doctrine is offensive to me. And he goes on that they say this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? In fact, and goes on then to say uh, the, the, the grappling in their heart is actually Jesus is bringing across something that, that their own belief system doesn't quite agree with. And in that moment, they kind of got a decision to make. Do I lean into what it is Jesus is saying, or do I lean into my own understanding? They, in this moment, they have a decision to make of what, what weight does Jesus' teaching hold in my life? What weight does Scripture really hold in my heart? What weight does it, what Jesus is saying actually really determine how much I reassess my beliefs, my values, my understanding of God? What weight does Scripture hold? And Jesus then, in, in verse 60 say, uh, 61, he says, Aware of this, aware that his disciples were grumbling, about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Basically what Jesus is saying is, if you can't get your head around this, this thing's about to get a whole lot more crazy for you. <laughs> if you can't get their head around this idea, wait until I ascend back to my Father. He's saying, actually, the, at this point, the conversation needs to get a little bit deeper because there's more I've got to reveal to you. And there's times even in our relationship with God where you start with God and then God starts to say, hey, I need you to get your head around this because in the next season, I need you to understand this because the next season's not going to make sense if you don't get this. You're not going to have a filter in understanding what I'm going to do if, first of all, you don't understand where we're at right now. And so Jesus says, well, what happens when I ascend to where I was before this, and then goes on in 63 to say, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. From this, here's where we find the responses. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In verse 67, it says, Jesus turning to his disciples says, you don't want to leave too, do you? 
I remember reading this a, a couple of years ago and thinking, man, that, that moment if I was the disciples is kind of that moment in class where the teacher's telling off some students and really you're just sitting at the corner like, don't make eye contact. Don't make, the last thing you want is the conversation to come your way. And Jesus is there with the disciples kind of that, that, are, that are grumbling and Jesus kind of rebuking them and trying to bring them to a point of understanding. They walk away and then he turns to Peter and says, you don't want to go too, do you? I find this interesting that he didn't just let the disciples sit there silent. He, he could have just gone and carried on, but he actually turned to the 12 and made them come to a point of decision on where they stood with it. He turned to Peter and goes, hey, wh wh where do you stand with this? That there's times in our walk with God where God will bring us to a point of decision. There's times where God will take us on a journey and then there's moments you see it even with the disciples where Jesus will say and say, well, well, where do you stand with this? What do you believe about this? There's times even with Peter, as we know, he got the disciples and say, well, what do they say about me? Well, some say you're a prophet. Jesus says, yeah, but what do you say about me? This is your point of decision. Where do you stand with who I am? Where do you stand with, with my teachings? Where do you stand with what it is I, I have to say? And so he brings him to a point of decision where Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy, the Holy One of God. It's interesting that they heard the same teaching, but they were brought to very different places. And really for the disciples, what brought them to this moment and this moment of decision, really, this, this moment of decision. Now, this is Peter kind of first acknowledging the fact that, no, Jesus, you are divine. It's not as defined and, and as direct as it, 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 later on, it, as, as Matthew talks about it, when Jesus, where Peter confesses that he is, uh, he is the Messiah, but it's the start of a journey. What got Peter started was the, 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 the miracle of the fish, the loaves, uh, the miracle of catch uh, when, when he's out fishing. That got, that got Peter started. Started with Jesus, but then Jesus brings him to a point where it's like, well, 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 now we can't just rely on that. We need to come to a point where your understanding is developing, where our relationship is growing. Because sometimes what gets you started is not the thing that's going to keep you going. I started coming back to church. I, I grew up in church, had a moment where I kind of uh, had, was a bit, bit, bit away from the church. What I, why I came back to the church is because I was, I was flatting with a group of mates, and they went along to what's now Equipus Thames. I, I'd never been there in my life, and I uh, had never planned on going there. And, uh, but I was flatting with some flatmates who got talked into doing a Christmas production, the kids' Christmas production. So they had to dress up as bears and sing on stage. And so I went along that night with no intentions of rejoining the church, but to laugh at my friends, one of them being Sam MacGyver, for those who know him. And, uh, and so I turn up that night to laugh at my friends. That's what got me started. <laughs> I don't come here every Sunday to laugh at my friends. Every now and again, I have the opportunity where we get to do that. And it's great, but it's not what keeps me going. I got started for one thing, but God got hold of my heart. The relationship with God deepened. My revelation of Jesus deepened. And what keeps me going is very different to what got me started. And in this journey of life is you can't camp in your relationship. 
Because what got you here might not necessarily be the thing that carries you in the next season. Your revelation and your relationship and your understanding of Jesus needs to keep developing if you're going to keep going deeper in Jesus. And there's this, this moment where, where they come to this point where actually Peter goes, no, my, my revelation of you, Jesus, is deepening, is developing. And I, I want to just quickly look this morning just add a couple of reasons on why, or observations you can draw from this text and, and the teaching of Jesus that caused some disciples to say, you know what, I'm out. And others to go, you know what, I'm even more in today than I was yesterday. Because I'm sure all of us want to be those disciples. Now Jesus, like I said, isn't talking to Pharisees, he's not talking to haters. He's talking to those who said, no, Jesus, I'm up for this. But at some point, he said, you know what? I don't think I'm here any longer. The first thing, if you look at, at, at this, is one of the things that I believe that, that some of the disciples struggled with is because they struggled to allow Jesus to play the role in their life that Jesus was going to play. They struggled to let Jesus play the role that Jesus needed to play. You, you look in verse 25. This is when Jesus uh, first kind of opens up his teaching with them. Now, for context's sake, what's happening in John 6 is the opening of John 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. So a great miracle. 5,000 people get fed and it's overflowing with food. All of these people witness that. Then a handful of them go out on the ocean and then Jesus comes walking on the water. And Jesus walks by them and the whole exchange with Peter happens where Peter walks on water and, and all of that happens. Then they arrive on the shore on the other side and this is where this teaching unfolds. So Jesus hasn't just done this out of the blue. They have now witnessed the fact that he can do great miracles. They witnessed the fact he can provide. He, they witnessed the fact he can, he can, he, he's above uh, the elements and this world, the powers of this world. He walked on water. So they had witnessed this divine nature of Jesus, and now he brings the teaching. So you've got to understand this teaching, when he first opens it, is on the back of some pretty amazing miracles. And what happens in verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side, they asked him, this is the disciples, it says, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's interesting at the very outset here that, that Jesus stops and points out the fact that actually you're not seeking me, you're seeking what I can do for you. From the very outset, Jesus stops and says, hey, you're not actually seeking me even because of what I can do, the, the miracles I've done. You're not seeking me. You're seeking the fact that, that I, uh, the miracles that I have performed for you, the signs because of the loaves you have eaten. From the outset, the, the disciples at this point had no problem with Jesus playing the role of provider. No problems with Jesus being that guy. They had no problems with Jesus being the walking on water guy. I mean, that's a cool party trick. They, they had no problems with that. There was roles they had no problem in Jesus playing in their life. But at this moment, Jesus takes on a different role. He takes on the role of teacher. And they say, oh, I, I, I don't know here. Like, I'm here for Jesus the provider. I'm here for Jesus the healer. I'm here for Jesus, even my Savior. But Jesus my teacher? 
Jesus having a say in my life? Jesus having a say in how I conduct my world? I don't know if I'm here for that, Jesus. Jesus, I don't know if you play that role. Jesus, we don't really cast you as teacher. And in this scene, Jesus, you're more just a tree in the corner. And when we need you, you get to come out and, and play provider again. Like there's scenes in our life that we love Jesus to play the main role in. Like those scenes when we're in need. I will cast Jesus as the main character then. Jesus, I need you to come out loud, strong, and quick. But then the scene changes. We're like, oh, hold on a minute, Jesus. In this scene, in this scene, just be the tree in the corner. You don't really have a speaking role in this, in this, part, in this scene of my life. You don't really have a teaching hat on. And, and what they're trying to do is, is they understood and they followed Jesus because of the miracles and they desired what he could do rather than following Jesus because of who he was. Because of who he was. And so the moment, see, the reality is, is Jesus sucks at playing the role as tree in your world. He just sucks at it. He speaks when he shouldn't speak and says what he shouldn't say. That Jesus actually plays kind of one key role in our life. And he plays it really well as our Lord and King. As our Lord and King. But here you've got a group of disciples here that were prepared to allow Jesus to play the role of provider, but not so prepared to let him play the role of teacher. And at the end of the day, there's moments in our life where we've got to be determined to ask ourselves the question, well, what role do you allow God to play in your world? What roles does God have and not have right now in your world? Because there's some scenes where God is the main character and there's other scenes where, okay, Jesus, you can stay over there unless someone trips over and gets hurt, then we'll wheel you out to them. But the reality is, 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 first of all, they didn't let Jesus play teacher. The teaching Jesus is bringing is very hard for a Jewish man to understand. But they didn't allow Jesus to teach them, to speak into wrong beliefs, to speak into wrong understandings. They didn't allow Jesus to play teacher. In fact, I'd go on to say is they also didn't want Jesus to play the role of Savior. In fact, in verse 27, it says, Jesus goes on to say this, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered him, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. Into a culture that was very work-driven, into a culture that was very much, if you do right, you will be right. Into a culture that said, if you work hard enough, you could earn your salvation, you could earn your righteousness, you could earn right standing with God. And Jesus kind of comes on the scene and says, you know what, the goal here isn't to work hard. The goal here is actually just to believe. The goal here is actually just to believe, to believe in me. 
And at the end of the day, he kind of opens in this part of the teaching to say, first of all, he says, don't devote yourself, your life to things that spoil. He actually speaks into the fact that they're, they're working and so fixated and so focused on the here and now, the earthly things, the fleshly. They're caught up so much with, 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 with the, 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 the physical things of our life. The flesh. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, that stuff, yeah, work, you got to eat. I mean, I can do the bread thing, but I don't want to have to do that every day. If you could earn a living and pay the bills, that would be great. So we can get on to some other things. But he's, so he's saying, hey, hey, you got to work, but work can't be your focus. The flesh can't be your focus. In fact, devote yourself to, to the eternal things. Let that be the main focus in your life. And then he says, and then actually the only thing you really need to do first and foremost is just to believe. Just to believe in me. But at the end of the day, they carried an attitude, and I even see it, I've seen it in parts of my own journey with God and, and helping other people walk with God, where we actually, we, we do better at earning things often than we do at receiving things. It's easier to, to pay someone for a job they've done than it is to give someone a gift. Because people like to receive what they've earned. A sense of I've done something here. But the teaching of Jesus where he comes into a culture where very much everything is earned and the religious hierarchy is based on how good you are or how good you're perceived to be more is the reality of that. And Jesus steps in and breaks down the whole religious hierarchy and says, you know, the one thing you can do, the one thing you should do before you do anything else is you just need to actually believe in me and receive from the bread of life. Just receive from what it is I've done, I've done for them. And at the end of the day, they struggled to understand the fact that Jesus was my teacher. Then they struggled to understand the fact then that Jesus is actually my Savior. That Jesus is my Savior. That it's through Him I take hold of salvation. Jesus kind of takes us to a whole other level, which really gets them angry. As Jesus then says, in fact, I'm not just a teacher, I'm not just a Savior, I'm actually God. And now this really gets people angry. Because in the verse 35, it says, Jesus, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still not believe. All, the, all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. In this moment when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying as I am God. <laughs> I'm God. That Jesus is really ramping up his role he wants to play in their world. He goes, hey, I'll be your provider. I'll be your teacher. I'll be your savior. But I also want to be your God. I want to play the role of God. Then I, now you listen to this teaching and, and our understanding of Jesus now, we go, man, this is such a gracious teaching. Jesus is saying, come to me. That's what you need to do. Cast your burdens on me. It's so gracious, but in the moment, it was very hard for people to understand. Very hard for them to position Jesus as God in their world. This Jewish boy born to Joseph and Mary Grew up with people they knew. Now saying I'm God, 
They found it very hard to cast Jesus in that role. And I've found in my life, actually, I've found it tough at times to even cast Jesus in that role. I found it very easy to cast Him as provider, healer, teacher, redeemer. But then there's times where God says, yeah, but now I want to be casted as Lord, King, Sovereign, God. God, because it was when you position me in that right place, I can give to you the life you need, the nourishment you need, the hope you need. Everything you need can be found when I'm put in that place. And then Jesus goes on to play another role in their life. And this is the one I've sometimes challenged, been challenged with when it comes to God. It's not as spiritual as the last three, but you see at a moment Jesus comes and I couldn't figure out a better way to word it, so I just said he comes in as, as the character coach. Because in verse 41, you find out this time that Jesus begin that the Jews begin grumbling about him. Because he said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say that? How can he come down from heaven? Jesus in verse 43 says it pretty straight, pretty clear. Stop grumbling amongst yourselves. He speaks to an attitude that they would just grumble. And don't get me wrong. It feels good to grumble sometimes. In fact, that word grumbling there is also the muttering of doves is what it sounded like. And instead of receiving what it is Jesus was trying to give, they decided to sit around and grumble about it. They grumbled with, well, they grumbled about what they should have been grappling with. Because I understand in life, some of the teachings, the understandings, the words God gives you, the hopes God gives you, the dreams God's gives you, you got to grapple with them. That there's sometimes where God will say things, do things, Scripture will highlight things. God will move us in places where, where it's not always just roses and, oh, that sounds awesome. You know what? I planned for my life going to prison. I'm sure that's not what Paul was up for. And there's a grappling in the Spirit to gain understanding. And I believe that at times there needs to be a grappling with Scripture, a grappling with the Word of God, a grappling. But they weren't prepared to grapple. They just wanted to grumble. Well, of God, why does Jesus come bring us here? Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus? Instead of grappling with Jesus, okay, God, how do we take hold of this? What do you mean you're going to eat your flesh? I don't like the taste of flesh. They didn't understand what we have. We have context to what that saying is now. Would have been a really weird thing at that moment. Did Jesus say, you know what you need to do? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. We're entering very cult-like activity right there. We understand, but in that moment, there needed to be a grappling with the teaching. Grappling with God. But their heart instead just grumbled about Jesus. And their grumbling is what led them to then turn away from God. You got to be careful what you grumble about. I found grumbling can sometimes even be a bit contagious. That we like to grumble about things at times. But when it comes to God, I would say you go to God and grapple with Him about what you don't understand. Don't let grumbling snuff out the life that Jesus is trying to bring into your world. 
And if you look at the very end of all this is where we find Peter's response. And just to land on this, what I love about Peter is how Peter actually responded to the same teaching. He knew the same, had been brought up the same, had the same understanding, but this is his response. Lord, in verse 68, Lord, to whom else shall we go? It's interesting right from the outset, the difference between Peter's response and the disciples' response. Jesus rebuked the other disciples and he said, hey, you don't follow me, you follow what I can do for you. Peter's response in that moment is, God, who else would I go to? I didn't come here for what you can do. I came here for you. I actually came here for you. His first response, well, who else is there? There's no other option. I'm not here just because of the the good things you can do for me. I'm here because I believe that you are God. And because I believe that, there's actually no other option for me. Where else am I going to go? The danger and the journey a lot of people need to go on in their faith, especially early on, is grappling with the idea that there needs to be no other option. When it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, I remember a defining moment in my life where I just said, regardless, this is it for me. God is it for me. Jesus is real. Whether I agree with everything, whether I get my head around everything, I'll go on that journey. But the underlying fact is, no, I believe in God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I'm going to pursue God. And then he goes on to say this. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you are the Holy One of God. What I love about Peter in this moment is, Some commentaries would say that Peter had no idea what it is Jesus was talking about. (laughs) No idea. No greater revelation. No greater understanding. But what Peter chose to do is he chose to let what he knew about Jesus speak to what he didn't understand about Jesus. He chose to let what he knew about God speak to the things he didn't understand about God. And the reality in our life, in our world, in our hearts, sometimes we let the things we don't understand undermine what we do know. But the reality is, no, I know God is good. This situation doesn't seem good, but I know God is good. So I'm not going to let my situation undermine my understanding of God. I'm going to allow my understanding of God to help bring understanding to my situation. But so many people let what they don't know question the conviction around what they do know. I want to say, no, hold to the truth of what you know about God and let that speak to what you don't know about God. God, I don't understand this. Yeah, but I do understand you are loving, you are gracious, you are good. But God, why does this have to be? No, but I understand you are there. You are always for, you love everyone at all times. Okay, God, but how? And you let what you know about Jesus speak to what you don't understand about God. Because so many people get tripped up or drawn away because they come up to questions and instead of grappling with them with God, they grumble about it outside of God. Say, if you've got questions about God, take it to God. (laughs) Allow God to speak into it. Allow God to speak into your world, to your life. I've come to realize in my life, there's some principles that I didn't understand, but I chose to believe. And it's in my belief in them, I then got an understanding about them. I didn't believe in tithe. (laughs) I didn't understand tithe. But then I put my faith in God. 
I embraced the principle and now I know it works. These things in our life, forgiveness can be hard. But when you go, you know what, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. If he says to forgive, I'm going to forgive. And I've been able to see forgiveness work in my world. Work in my world. But I'm going to let what I know about God speak to what I don't know about God. 